Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for that worship set. Uh, welcome everyone here today. Welcome especially to our visitors. I see some of you here. We're glad you joined us. Now, I've learned something in the short time that I've been doing a little bit of preaching here. And that is every time I do a sermon, it ends up doing me more good than anyone else, than any of you listening to it. So I thought to myself, we're, we're not in the middle of a series now, so I got to choose the subject, so I thought, well, what area do I need to grow? And there were so many, I had a hard time picking. Um, but here it is. And I even asked my wife about this a week ago if she thinks this is the right one, and she thought, she thought this could be a good one. Sorry, Diane. Um, so I bring this message to you from, from a place or as one who has a need to grow in this area. I don't think I have this figured out. I don't think I do this well. But the message is, on the, is going to be on the second part of the great commandment, the second half of the great commandment. Who can tell me what, what the great commandment is? Jesus gave it in Matthew. Somebody. Has to do with love. Yep. That's the first one. What's the second one that it says is just like it? Neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to go there and read that to Matthew 22. Verses 34 to 40. And this isn't, our text will be out of Ephesians. We'll get to come to that later. But here's what I'd like to look at. But when the Verse 34 of Matthew chapter 22. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment, great commandment in the law? Now this is Jesus. He's here. Before this, they were asking Christ all these questions trying to trick him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What is that? How do we do that? Well, who, who is your neighbor? Jesus talked about this some, but your neighbor is the people around you or the people you come in contact with. Uh, but I'd like to talk today as kind of specifically in the context of our neighbor as in our church. Um, how do we, our church family, how do we treat each other? Now, loving our neighbor as ourself, isn't a nat- it doesn't come natural. Now, if you don't believe me, watch a couple two-year-olds trying to play with the same toy. 
so we're we're born with this this need, you know. I come first. I love my I love myself a lot. How do we love other people? Jesus said in Luke chapter six, verse twenty-seven, that to love to love is to treat others the way we wish to be treated, and that's the golden rule. We all know that. In verses thirty-seven and thirty-eight, um, he goes even further, and he says that you will be treated the way you treat others. You know, it might not be today that you'll be treated the way you treat others, but that's the law of sowing and reaping. You know? What's that quote I like? If you don't, if you don't, like, if you don't like the crop you are reaping, maybe you need to change the seeds you are sowing. But how do we love others like ourselves? Let's look first at how do we love ourselves. Let's think about this. How do we love ourselves? How do I love myself? Well, I certainly want the best for myself, you know. Um, I like when things go my way. You know, I tend, I tend to cut myself slack when I, when I screw up. It's like I can come up with some pretty good excuses for, you know, why I messed up. I tend to credit myself for all my good intentions that I never carry out. You know, those intentions count for something. You know, I'm pretty sure I'm right almost all the time. And we highly value our own opinion. And we do this without thinking. We all, we all do it. Um, but this word opinion, I'd like to look at that. And that's a real troublemaker. Because we all have one. And they tend to be different. Right? Now the definition of an opinion is a view or judgment formed about something not necessarily based on fact or knowledge. So it's our view. It's how we see things. It's how we see, it's how we see people. And I'd like to talk, talk about this um, as our worldview. Like we each have our own worldview, which is... And our, and our worldviews are all different. Well, they're the... They're the same in some ways, but different in others. Like, for instance, we all believe it's important to raise our children to be godly, but we go about doing that in different ways. So we have a lot in common, but we have a lot of areas where we differ. And your worldview is it's how you see the world. It's your view of life, one of the my favorite definitions I came across is it's a set of presuppositions which we hold about the makeup of the world. So, and a presupposition is, is something that I assume to be true without evidence. So there are a lot of things that we believe and that, that we assume that we don't really think about. 
that we suppose about the makeup of the world. Now, your worldview is unique to you. Nobody else sees the world exactly the way you do. And your worldview is shaped by two different things. Your personality and your past, or your childhood. So we each have a personality, and we each have a past. Our personalities have strengths and weaknesses, and our pasts all have brokenness. And according to some studies that I looked at, there are three primary influences that shape a person's worldview. And number three is the law of the land. If the government says it's allowed, young hearts view it as acceptable, and vice versa. Number two is media. Powerful images lodge themselves deep in our kids' heart, and they shape their worldview. And number one, guess what number one is? Guess what, guess what shapes, what plays the biggest role in shaping someone's worldview? Somebody, it's not that hard. Parents. Parents. Parents play the biggest role. And according to this study, a worldview is developed between the ages of 18 months and 13 years old. That's a short window for a long life. A worldview is developed between 18 months and 13 years old, and the biggest, who, who has or what has the biggest influence on that is the parents in the lives of their kids. Like, for instance... Um, divorce has a powerful negative effect on children. So adults whose parents divorced, especially during early childhood, find it very hard to trust in a relationship. Not saying it's impossible. It, it shapes a worldview. Another one I came across is if you micromanage your child, if you make all the de- or if you make all the decisions for them, Um, maybe for fear that if you let them make decisions, they'll make the wrong ones. But if you micromanage your children, odds are they will grow up to be over-reliant on others and have a difficult time making decisions as adults. Now, this works in positive ways, too. Um, Like, if you had healthy relationships as a child, odds are you have you're set up to have healthy relationships as an adult. But we each have our, our very own worldview. We're pretty sure it's the right one. And we all love ourselves. Paul said in Ephesians 5.29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does for the church. So I have my own view. You have yours. They're all incredibly narrow. Like, think about it. 
I have my view. How many people are, how many people are here this morning? Let's go with 125. My view is one of 125 in this room right now. Like, you know, to myself I can think, well, I've got a pretty good handle on things. But it's so narrow. And what I really want us to think about, what we want to look at this morning, is what is my response when other people's, when your behavior doesn't line up with my view? When your behavior doesn't fit into how I think what you should say or how you should be. The times I say, what in the world was he thinking when he said that? Or what was she thinking when she did that? What do I assume about you? What do I put in the gap? We're going to call it a gap. So I have, I have my worldview. It's narrow. It's narrow. I think it's big, but it's narrow. When the way you act or what you do doesn't fit into my view, I get to choose what I put in the gap between, what I fill into that space. Let me give you an example. I think, I believe, my view is, my opinion, is it's important to be on time. Okay? It's not an issue of right or wrong. You could debate that. Some people would think it's more right. But it's certainly not an issue of good or evil. Like, being on time doesn't make you good. Being late doesn't make you evil. Right? So... That's my view. Now let's assume, let's, let's not assume, let's say you and I have a meeting tonight, okay? And you come to the meeting on time and I come here and I'm late. So my own actions don't line up with my view. There's a gap there. What do I put in the gap? Well, I love myself, so I tend to be pretty generous. Like, I'll cut myself some slack. You know, I could have made it if it wasn't for that slow traffic and all those buggies. What if you're late? What if we go to the meeting and I'm on time and you're late? What do I put in that gap? You're lazy and irresponsible. You know, it's really easy to attack someone's character in instances like that. And that's not good. See, we judge ourselves by our intentions and we judge others by their actions. Let's look at what Paul says we should put into the gap. What should be our response when other people's behavior doesn't line up with our view? And I'll read the text. I'm going to read the first seven verses of Ephesians chapter 4. You're welcome to turn there. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And by the way, Ephesians was written 
to, well, the church at Ephesus, and they were a Gentile body of believers, like just like us. So, essentially, it's Paul was writing to people to people like us. Here's what he said. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 7. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I'm going to stop right there just for a second because I love that. It's not really related here. But I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That assumes we have a calling. And you're not here just by accident. And I like that. Verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the body of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. When others say and do things that I deem not proper or wrong, and they're not a sin issue, that's not what we're talking about, it doesn't line up with my view, or it doesn't line up with, with your view, what's our response? You know, what if, what if someone says something that I deem just ignorant? Do I respond from a place of judgment? Or do I respond from a place of humility? My favorite definition of humility I found is to be deeply aware of your own ignorance. Like, your worldview is small, mine is small and narrow. What if someone says something hurtful? What do I assume? Character attacks? Or can I cut them some slack? What if your spouse says something that flips your switch? What if someone else's kids aren't very nice to your kids? Do we respond with character attacks? Or do we respond, as Paul says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love? Bearing with one another in love. That's like something you do over time. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Is that a response? Loving your neighbor as yourself is looking for the most generous explanation of someone else's behavior. Let me read that again. Loving your neighbor as yourself is looking for the most generous explanation of someone else's behavior. Now, I should clarify, this isn't all that love is. I'm talking about love in the context of when we respond to people. Love goes out and it looks for people and it does all kinds of things 
I'm not talking about that. I'm talking in the context of, you know, our church, our church family, us. How do we respond to each other when we have reason to be annoyed, maybe? Can we cut each other slack? Can we genuinely want the very best for each other? You know, this is no, it's no simple thing to do. Like, it doesn't come natural. In fact, I, I think it's supernatural. I think, I think uh, God, in someone's heart, is what allows us to, to do that, really, really love others. Now, there, comes, there does come a time to confront people on some of these issues, but there's a healthy way to go about it. Paul talks about it a little bit in Ephesians 4.16, and it says, speaking the truth in love. Now, I'm not going to talk about that more because that's a message all on its own. Um, But in closing, I like like, uh, verses 4, 5, and 6 here. And the unity that's portrayed here, you know, what, what unites us is much bigger than what divides us. And here it is. And notice all the ones. Verses 4, 5, and 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. When that can override all the little differences. Verse 7 yet, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Each of us has been given grace. In fact, it calls a Christ's gift here. And let's extend that to each other, that grace. That's loving your neighbor as yourself. And after all, Jesus said, that's how the world will know that you're my disciples. Let's bow our heads and pray. I'll have you all stand. The worship team can make their way forward. Let's pray. God, I thank you this morning uh, for being with us in our time we spent here together. Help us to know how to love each other, what it is to love each other, um, unselfishly in the way that you have loved us. Uh, I give you all the praise and the glory. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.